Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in today, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland. That is directly behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's located on South Florida Avenue. My building literally butts up to the back of theirs as far as across the alleyway. Today, I thought we would talk about, and it's a, it's a very recent relative issue that uh, has legal ramifications, and that's the criminal and civil issues related to the, quote, accidental, end quote, firing of a firearm on a movie set or TV show. And I'm encompassing both because... We watch a lot of TV programs in which firearms are, are used on the programs. We also watch a lot of movies which firearms are used. And this is particularly relevant right now because of what happened late last week uh, on the movie set of a movie being filmed called Rust. I have no idea what that means other than I know what rust on a vehicle or rust on an appliance is. I'm sure it has something to do with the theme of the movie. Uh, that stars or has in it Alec Baldwin, and Alec Baldwin is also the executive producer of the movie. And if you haven't heard about this, uh, there was a, a what they're going to call as an accidental shooting. Um, I don't know how you stretch it to be that far, but we'll talk about that, and that's part of what I want to go into during this, this show. Accidental shooting that was listed as going on on that uh, site of the movie shooting in which uh, one of the cinematographers or the cinematographer was shot, as well as uh, one other person that was standing behind that person. Uh, One died, and the other one is injured and in the hospital. And Baldwin was the one that fired the gun. And a lot of people are going to ask a lot of different questions about certain issues on this, so I'm going to try to clear up some things. And there are still a lot of yet of unknown issues that will maybe bid well to have a future program on to try to clarify things more uh, once we've got that information. So I'm going to be doing more of an all-encompassing episode today where I talk about several different what-ifs and and how-comes and why things happen. Um, There are a lot of reports coming out, especially from crew members from that particular shooting location, and I don't mean that funny way as I'm talking about shooting location for shooting the movie, uh, that were people that actually left earlier in the day. They were crew members uh, that were part of a union that did not like the way the movie was being handled, and there was a lot of reasons that they left that that movie set. Uh, They included, and these are reports that we're getting from the L.A. Times, which is a, a national organization. Oh, we've already got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Mr. Dodds, it's Jim Headley. Hey, Jim. Oh, just tuned in to your show. Looking forward to it. Well, good. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, sir. Go go ahead. You got a question? Uh, yeah. Do you think that um, Baldwin will be charged criminally? That's interesting you asked that because I was just talking to that, uh, to our board operator about that before the show happened. And the answer is maybe. Um, you and I, as responsible gun owners and people that have handled guns in the past, we understand that 
when we handle a gun at all, we need to be checking to see if it's loaded or not. In fact, you and I had that discussion even earlier today. And there bears a certain amount of responsibility to anybody handling a firearm to make sure that it is not loaded with live rounds. Um, and and, and I know you were you were trained the same way I, I was. If there's three of us in the room, I see you visually and physically inspect a chamber, and you hand it to me. I still do the same thing for redundancy. Absolutely. And you and I both know that I go to gun shows quite frequently, and somebody hands me a gun, I'm checking to see if that gun's loaded. You might be surprised how many times I find out there's actually a round somewhere in the gun. Oh, no, we have a mutual friend that owns a gun shop locally. He's had weapons shipped to him with chambered rounds. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm familiar with that shop, and I also know of another shop that had the same issue. In fact, they showed me the gun and the, the bullet that came out of it. That's um, scary. And it's frightening because people just don't handle them very well, and I think a lot of it has to do with training. And in this particular case, you and I also know Mr. Baldwin is not particularly fond of guns to begin with, yet he often uses them in movies or TV shows that he might be involved with. Hypocrite. Uh, yeah, and that that was going to be where I ended up at the end of the show was the hypocrisy of somebody trying to make a lot of money off of the very item that they want to try to discourage people to use. And now, turns around, he's the subject of an investigation involving such. Well, I'll pray for the victim. Yep, and I really do feel for them that they had no, you know, you, you feel bad for both the lady and her family, the one that got shot that was killed, and then the other the, the other family and the guy that's still in the hospital. Yeah, through and through got him. Uh, yeah, and so they had, it appears they would have had zero responsibility in this because they're not part of the chain dealing with the firearm. But Well, I know we've had this conversation. My 11-year-old knows better than to not check whether a weapon is loaded or not. Absolutely. And for the, the overall listening audience out of this, we don't want anybody to be afraid of a firearm, but we want you to responsibly handle it. And that means that if you are going to hand it from yourself to somebody else, particularly for movie purposes, you need to make darn sure the thing's not loaded with a live round. Um, you know, it's one thing if you're firing at a range and somebody's handing a gun to somebody else to go ahead and shoot with, that's a whole different issue because you're there for a specific purpose to do that. Uh, and the weapon's still downrange. Absolutely. Or if you're carrying the firearm for, for personal protection usage, Again, you, a lo, an unloaded gun is a paperweight. It needs to be loaded under those circumstances if you're carrying it for self-protection. But otherwise, if, if in these type of circumstances like we're talking about here, there's absolutely no purpose, and it's, it violates all of the protocols that anybody that's a safe gun handler would have. Jim, we've got to go to break. If you want to hang around, we can talk some more after the break. Sounds good. Thanks, Tony. All right. You're listening to 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. Prior to the break, we had uh, Attorney Jim Headley calling in as well, so he could kind of give us some insights too. Jim, you still there? Yes, sir. Uh, while you were on hold, we've actually had another caller, so we're going to try doing something I've never done before with two, with, with two callers at once. Go ahead, caller. Tony, this is Jonesy. Hey, Jonesy. How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, I, I meant to catch you last week, reference your veteran stuff, which I very much wanted to hear, but uh, 
Yeah, I heard the topic going on today, and I had to chime in on this one. No problem. Go ahead. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, I mean, as you know, I'm a re- retired deputy, detention deputy with the Polk County Sheriff's Department and yep. a former firearm instructor. I also teach gun safety and all like this, but it goes to what you and Jim Headley both have said. As soon as you're issued a gun, you have to check that chamber yourself to make sure it's empty and it's not live. But my question is, where did the live ammunition come from on the movie set? I've got an answer for you on that. That I've At least I'm having to rely on news media for the answer. And that always scares me to death, as you know. Oh, but, absolutely. I'm with you. But initial reports are that they were using these firearms for target practice after they were done with filming for the day. And that okay. they were literally going out and shooting the guns with live ammo after... They had completed shooting for the day. That's a horrible idea that, to do that. That is wrong with the capital wrong if there anything is wrong. You don't ever do that. No, because these guns should be designated and locked away for purposes of safe usage on the set. Or like we talked about earlier, Tony, having actual cylinders that are made for blanks to make it so they cannot receive a full-length round. Yeah, and that's another way to do that, is if you're going to do that. But, uh, Jim, I, as I, I think you and I talked about earlier, the, the whole idea on this is for decades, a lot of actors even used their own firearms uh, as props, so to speak, in the movies. And when we're talking about a prop, that does not mean it's a non-firing gun. That can be a non-firing gun, but a prop means it's a prop in the movie, not that it's an, a non-functioning firearm. And I can tell you, because I've actually seen the guns, some of John Wayne's own personal guns were used in some of the movies that he did, including Rio Lobo. Um, And and that firearm actually is in the NRA Museum in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, Wow. The the firearms that were used in Dirty Harry, the Model 29-2s, and yes, I know my stuff on this stuff. There were actually four of them used for the original movie. Every one of them was a live-functioning gun. So, But it had people that were responsible dealing with the guns, all the way from the armorer, who was the first person to be in dealing in charge with the guns on a, a Hollywood set, through the assistant director. And then, quite frankly, I cannot imagine either John Wayne or Clint Eastwood using a firearm that they had not personally inspected themselves either. Well, it's funny you mentioned what you just said, Tony. My question is, shouldn't it fall back initially to the armorer? Who oh. That's their purpose initially to make sure that that weapon or that firearm is safe. It, it absolutely does. And the armorer in this case was a 24-year-old lady who had only worked on one previous movie herself dealing with the armorer-type issues. Did you see who her dad is? Yeah, her dad was a famous armorer that had been involved in hundreds of movies, probably. I understand all that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jonesy. I I understand that. You know, her second movie, there again, I understand that. But then there again, there's multiple safety and fail checks in there. And from what you said already, they've already failed from the get-go because they took the weapons and the guns out after work to go shoot target practice. Oh, absolutely. Their hints is 90% of your problem right there. It is. And that's, 
it's being leaked out slowly, and I don't know how much we're going to get right away. It may take weeks before we finally get the full story on this. But according to media again, and again, you know how much I hate relying on any kind of news media for anything. But, yes, the, sir, but the, the leaks that are coming out are from the crew members that walked off the set earlier that day. And they were part of a union. They were not getting paid correctly. They were having to work too many hours at a time. They were not supposed to be having to commute as far as they were commuting. But the last thing that they were talking about as far as why they wanted to leave the set is the firearms protocols were not being followed. And that's why they didn't feel safe on the set themselves. So they left. They then brought in a non-union crew later in the day. And again, I'm not big on union versus non-union on something like this. It's whatever. But you bring in a separate crew that's not even familiar with the problems they've already had. Whether it was union or non-union. You're bringing in a new group of people coming in. They don't know what problems have already happened. And according to uh, one of the... I'm trying to find the note on this. But the production manager had been told earlier in the day by one of the camera operators about problems with the gun safety on the set. Now, that's the same day that one of the camera operators complained to the production manager about the gun safety. And the stunt double of Baldwin had accidentally fired two rounds after being told the gun was cold and no ammunition, including blanks, was in it earlier that day. No, the more you talk about this, Tony, this just sounds like one serious recipe for disaster. And unfortunately, it happened. I'm living proof of what can happen. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But you know the story. Oh, yeah. But it's just, but, you sit there and go, it's a concatenation. Apparently, again, according to some of these people that walked off the set, this would have been the third accidental discharge on this set. Now, you know, one strike is one thing, and that's one too many. Two strikes is inexcusable. Having this third one result in somebody's death is ridiculous. And that's why I wanted to talk about this today was because of the both civil and criminal issues that that can be attached to something like this. Alec Baldwin's the exec, one of the executive producers of this. That means he's part of the money man behind it. It's a low-budget film. If he's cutting corners, that gets you into a real precarious position of whether that is a reckless endangerment of the people on the set. And if it is, he may have some criminal responsibility out of this. Uh, Jim, what do you think on something like that? I think it, at least the uh, the hierarchy of that were responsible for the firearm, but I know he's going to have some serious civil liability. Well, and that I that is without a doubt, because the buck always stops with the guy at the top when somebody's in a position like this. And if he's the one putting the money into it and it's not enough money to safely produce the show or the movie, then he's going to ultimately bear a lot of responsibility on that. It, this could very well bankrupt him for the rest of his life. Uh, and you and I were talking about this over, earlier. There was another person involved with the film that died, and the, the person they found responsible actually did a year in prison. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the last time we really recall anybody having been shot like this on a movie set that I'm aware of would have been Brandon Lee back in, like, 1993. So we're talking 28 years ago. The Crow. Yeah, and, and that actually involved a blank that – 
just happened to have a piece of metal discharged from it, and they created new industry standards as a result of that situation so that things like this would not occur. But it actually involved the use of a blank, and it just happened to have a piece of metal discharge that hit exactly the right spot on his body to cut his carotid artery and have him bleed out. Do you remember the soap opera guy that put a forty-four mag with a blank up to his temple and pulled the trigger and the concussion killed him? Absolutely. Back in the 80s? Yeah. That was a blank, too. But it was a it's bad... Not a toy. Yeah, and it was a bad usage of that blank, though. The idiot... I mean, you just don't put a gun to your head like that. And the sheer concussion's what killed him on that. Well, that's, again, a non-gun person handling a gun and not being properly instructed in the safe usage of how to deal with it on a movie set. And I think part of the protocols that were even put in place to avoid those kinds of things happening again was nobody would have a weapon pointed to them or a firearm pointed at them within at least 20 feet or something using blanks even. And the theory was that between that one and the crow, they were hoping that that would solve the problem. I guess nobody figured out that somebody would be stupid enough to put a live round into a gun that would be used on a movie set and that somebody could get shot with a live round. Um, just a, a bunch of either inexperienced or botched handling from the get-go on this. Um, Jonesy, I, I know you know better than to handle something in any way, shape like this. And quite frankly, it's shocking that they have somebody handling these firearms with so little experience. Like I said, Tony, that just goes in, it's just building a recipe for disaster. I understand inexperience, you need training and this and that. However, go to someone who is more experienced, more more training that you, know, you can learn from. I know her, her dad was, uh, you know, a former armorer and this and that and what have you, but, you know. Well, and the sad part was more reports are coming out that she's telling everybody she didn't even feel comfortable trying to do this by herself on this movie. And that's, that, have had that's red flagged everywhere then. One, they tell us in military operations, one is good, two is better. Yeah. So you should have, okay, that way they can shadow her to watch over her to make sure that everything is done safely and done right. Yeah. Well, guys, we got to go to break here. If anybody wants to hang around, I don't mind talking some more about this after the break. You're listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I've got with me on the phone lines both Attorney Jim Headley and another good friend of ours by the name of Jonesy. And we've been talking about this atrocity that occurred last week. A lot of people are, are, are calling it an accidental shooting, and we hope it's an accidental shooting, but it, it just seems like such gross ineptitude that it may even get outside of the issue of an accident at that point. Um, as we've talked before, too, They've used real guns on these sets for decades with very few problems. Uh, I've seen John Wayne's guns at the NRA Museum that were used in some of his movies. Uh, I've seen the movie that uh, Tom Selleck had that uh, did with the Quigley Down Under. I've seen that gun. It's a real gun, folks. It's in the NRA Museum in Fairfax, Virginia. 
I've seen one of the 44 Magnums that Clint Eastwood used in Dirty Harry. It's also in the NRA Museum. I've seen the guns from Haas, Ben Cartwright, Little Joe, and Paladin, all at the Cody Museum in Cody, Wyoming. And they were real. And none of them ever had an accidental discharge on a set to where somebody was hurt, killed, or anything like that. We're only seeing it in, in... low-budget type situations like this or in cases where people are not properly trained in how to handle the guns to begin with and they're being inappropriately used. Guys, that's just unacceptable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, my dad passed away when I was 10 years old, but one of the things he taught me before he was gone was that you always presume that a firearm is loaded. Whether it is or isn't, you presume it's loaded. And that, Tom, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say, Tony, that's the number number one thing. You've got to treat that thing as it as if it's loaded all the time. And the other golden rule that I teach in some of my classes and stuff that I do: keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to engage. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, that's just the bottom line. Just, Bottom line, gentlemen, that simple. Keep your finger off the trigger. And there's a reason behind that. When you have your finger on the trigger, that means you are ready to fire at whatever you may be aiming at. You're ready to destroy it. Yeah. I mean, you're either hitting a target or you're doing it for self-defensive purposes uh, to actually take out the opponent of whatever you're dealing with. And yes, sir. in a movie, assuming that everything is is the way it's supposed to be, then you're okay in shooting it in a direction in which it's supposed to be shot at. But again, there are safety protocols in place. And having a, and I know somebody's going to get upset with me saying this, but having an armorer that's 24 years of age who's only done one other film, who apparently has already told them she didn't feel comfortable trying to do this by herself, having her as the armorer, somebody's got some problems out of this. Well, Tony, I mean... You know, coincidentally, Josie actually also is my my son's godfather. But he yeah. and I have been training little guys since he was young on Nerf guns, downrange, finger off the trigger, yeah. BB guns, downrange, finger off the trigger. I mean, it's not that complicated. Now, and and going into criminal responsibility, because I do want to touch on the legalities of all this stuff. Going into the criminal responsibility, I'm having to use Florida law, not New Mexico law, so it could be different out there because that's where this occurred. But if we used Florida law on this, unless they can show some sort of criminal intent, now if they can show somebody slipped that round into that revolver because they wanted to shoot, have somebody shot, or they wanted to get at Alec Baldwin in an indirect means, unless some sort of criminal intent can be shown or a depraved mind that can be shown, say one of these crew members put something in one of those guns before they left. We don't know that yet because there is an investigation that's got to occur. There's nothing to suggest that yet that we're aware of, though. So unless that is shown, the worst that we're looking at under Florida law would be something in the form of manslaughter or culpable negligence. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's still serious in Florida. Uh, And I'm sure it's going to be serious in New Mexico. The issue then is how far up the food chain those charges go. Um, the armor, one way or the other, is going to have some bottom line responsibility out of this. 
and the assistant director, according to the protocols that are put in place by the movie studios and, and Hollywood in general, is the next one up the food chain. And in this case, the assistant director is the one that handed the gun to Alec Baldwin and said it's safe or it's cold. Well, cold in their terms means it's safe. How does he know it? Did he check it? And if he didn't check it, guess what? He might be sitting there facing charges as well because of the inherent nature of this item. And, you know, again, I feel bad for everybody, but you got to do your job. You can't just assume stuff. Uh, We all know what happens when we assume. Yeah. And so it's really bad when you're dealing with something that is part of our constitutional rights. And for people to mishandle these items, it makes us all look bad, and we're not the people that are the problem. Um, you, you're talking about somebody that's a Hollywood elitist, so to speak. And again, I'm beating him up, but it's his responsibility to hire the right people. And if you don't hire the right people, you got problems yourself. So I think as we sit here right now, pecking order of problems on the criminal issue of being charged is the, the 24-year-old armor. Then up the chain from there would be the assistant director. Thirdly, is potentially Alec Baldwin himself as the executive producer and the person that actually fired the gun. If y'all want to correct me on that, that's kind of the pecking order I see. No, I agree with you. I I concur with that. And there again, I'll just reiterate: once you put your, if you make the decision to put your finger on that trigger and engage, you bear the responsibility for whatever actions come out of that. Oh, absolutely. Bottom line. Bottom line, you are responsible. And a lot of people say, how is this not a criminal act? Well, it can be. It depends on what the ultimate facts display. And as I've indicated already previously on this show, I hate relying on media reports, so to speak, because we all know how things can occur and change to where a media report can be wrong at first, and then it gets to where we get additional facts. Um, The other thing... Oh, go ahead. Well, you know, the old adage, uh, measure twice, cut once. You know what I mean? You can never take a bullet back, so take a second to check. Yeah. I mean, it would have taken two minutes to open whatever gun it is up. Uh, either a semi-automatic, you pull the slide back, you, you take the ma- uh, magazine out, you look in it and make sure what's in it. If it's a revolver, you swing the cylinder out on a double-action revolver and make sure that the rounds that are in it, or if there's any blanks in it, are the appropriate blanks. It's really easy to tell the difference between a blank and a, a firing dischargeable type round that issues a projectile. They look completely different on the end. Uh, now, can one be a blank also be a firing projectile? Yes, potentially. you got to be really trying hard to do that one. We're going back to the old Smith & Wesson wad cutter days and stuff. Uh, i got a question for yeah. you, Tony, on the same thing. If it comes down to it, as far as training, not enough training on the movie set, because we've hey, already talked about there. Jonesy, can I get you to quit shaking whatever it is you're doing in the background there? It's coming through on the radio. <laughs> but go I ahead. Saying that, I just was saying that would it fall to a training issue, lack of training on the whole movie set, because we've already talked about several problems that were there on the movie set and the lack of training for the armor. Could it 
fall down to a training and gross negligence Absolutely. training? Absolutely. I mean, if those reports that are initially being issued are correct, that this was the third accidental discharge, I don't know how you don't have that being gross negligence at that point. Um, if it's not true and it's the first one, it still might amount to gross negligence simply because of what's required in the in making sure that firearms are safe, especially when being used on a movie set. So the answer is yes, it, it either way could be. They're going to have to analyze it all the way from the top, or actually from the bottom up, uh, to see where they're going to cut off that level. Guys, we got to go to break again. Uh, you're listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. Uh, to call in, the number is 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've had a couple callers on for most of the show, but that's okay, because these are guys that I know. They know what I'm talking about, and they, quite frankly, are experts in their own particular area of the same field. And so you're kind of getting a three-for-one today, folks, and that that should be entertaining to anybody that's listening in. We're talking about the the issue that occurred late last week with Alec Baldwin on the movie set. A lot of people go, oh, that's too fresh. Why are you getting into that? No, it needs to be dealt with now. We can develop it further as the facts come out, but we have for certainty one dead person and one injured person from at least three people's stupidity. It could be more, but at least three people's stupidity. And I've already talked a little bit about the criminal issues involved on this. I thought for the last segment here we would shift to the civil liability issues. And as Jonesy was talking about earlier, and I think even Jim uh, chimed in a little bit on this with the gross negligence, their issues are not just gross negligence. There's culpable negligence and simple negligence. All of it is going to be a problem. And as as it would relate to a movie set, even a low-budget movie, which this one was, should have some sort of insurance on it. And if it doesn't, then guess whose pockets are going to get picked? It's going to be the, product, the producers, who still could face some civil liability themselves. I mean, this is such a tragic and traumatic event that even if there is insurance, there could be problems that, that would trickle into the producers having to put money in. And guess who one of the producers is? Executive producer Alec Baldwin. So, guys, that... that is a real problem uh, for this production and for the people behind the production. Jim, you there? Yes, sir. Okay. I agree. I mean, you do more civil stuff than I do. I don't, I tend to shy away from a lot of that stuff. I, this, well, I would, mean, this would be like a dream. It's a dream come true in the form of liability and damages. It's a nightmare to the extent of one person died. Oh, it's a horrible try. It's, it's, it's a travesty, you know, that she died. You know, but you know they have coverage. If not, Alec Baldwin will most likely have deep pockets. It yeah. doesn't bring the girl back. Doesn't no. bring the lady back. But well, and that's the real travesty out of this. You cannot bring either the person that died back, and you can't undo the injury uh, to the person that's still alive. Um, we don't know the extent of how long term that that problem is going to be with that person, but. Either way, that one's dead, that family is now traumatically affected for the rest of their lives, and the other family is affected as well because, again, the person's injured. And it's, it was so preventable. 
all they needed to do was take certain safety protocols. The other issue on this that could lead to some civil liability is if they can prove an intentional tort. Um, If somebody did this intentionally, and we don't know that yet, and I'm not trying to suggest there's any information to believe that yet, but if there's a reason to believe it, then they could have that as a possibility for, for being able to collect damages. Um, now, Jim, on civil cases, though, the only thing they can get is money. There is nothing else, is there? Well, yeah, you can't bring her back. No. And, and there's no other form of compensation to somebody like that other than a monetary award. Yeah, there'll be a coverage, there'll be an insurance policy for the production studio, I'm sure. Yeah. And then whoever the deep pockets joint several liability, at least in Florida. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure it'll be the same out there. There's, There may be even some added issues or some added coverages they made them have because of firearms being used in the production of it. Um, I, God only knows. I don't know what the policy limits are on something like that. It, it may depend on which state you're in as to what the requirements are even on it. And I wonder if punitives would kick in if it's so egregious. Well, and again, damages. I, I think that could be argued. Um, now, do punitive damages apply on certain types of cases, or how does that work? I, I guess here in the state of Florida, which is the only one we can speak to, sure. um, they would apply if there's you know extreme, I mean, excessive negligence, you know, with someone just a complete disregard for the health and welfare. Well, so I'm not sure if this would rise to that level or not. If it is presentable or it turns out to be real facts that they'd had two other accidental discharges already on set um, and that they were using these firearms for target practice after hours, I think you're getting pretty close to being able to get into punitive damages issues. Well, you and I, both, neither one of us are really big on mandates or restrictions, but I truly think they should go to the the actual dedicated blank only weapons to make sure it can't be, you know, make it idiot proof. Well, and that wouldn't be too hard to do either because all they need to do is go get some regular firearms and then convert them. I mean, all you're doing is basically welding a bar into one of the things. Well, I told you about the Chiapa Rhino 357 I had. They had two, there were two of them, they had two blank cylinders and they actually worked, had a bar halfway through the actual chamber. So even a 38 couldn't go in it. Yeah, the scary part about the one you had, though, it, it had two chambers like that, but that means there was at least, what, three or four more that were regular ready-to-fire ones? No, they're all, all all the chambers were the same. They all had a bar all the way around. Okay, okay, well, that makes more sense. And then, then you could put blank rounds in it, and it would be incapable of discharging any kind of live round. It wouldn't even fit. Then you'd have to make sure that whoever's using it knows to take the cylinder that's for blanks and use it, and not the other one. Yeah. They now, looked identical and- now, I can tell you there's some close-up shop, shots in, in movies such as Dirty Harry, um, even in Rambo, uh, some of the war movies that we've seen in the past, where they always wanted to make sure they had realistic-looking firearms. It would be very, very difficult to convert that many guns, I would think, on some of these movies. The expense factor could get really insurmountable. Um, yeah. So. Um, oh, I have a, a note being passed to me that the policy limit in Flo- or the policy minimum in Florida for shooting a movie is one million dollars. So that gives we know that there's at least that much coverage here that would be required uh, for policy on a movie production here in the state of Florida. 
So now, New Mexico could be more, could be less. We don't know what the laws of that state are. Uh, but at least that gives you some basis. Now, quite frankly, I think any human life is worth more than a million dollars. Oh, I agree, Tony. And the biggest thing is, you know, every, everyone's life is worth something. But this lady was like a rising star in cinematography. Well, that's what I understand. And apparently she was pretty broken up earlier in the day by her entire production crew leaving on her because they weren't being accommodated the way they had been promised they were going to be accommodated. Uh, she apparently is part of the same union of the people that left and just was devastated by the fact that they were leaving. So she had a really, and this sounds terrible for me to put this, but she had a really bad day overall. She died, but she lost the very people that she wanted to be working on the movie as well. Which could have saved her life. But in Florida, they would, you know, the attorney would hire what they call an economist yep. to work out projections of how much their lifetime earnings would have been, and it would be greatly above $1 million. Oh, yeah, especially for somebody like her. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would be a, a huge amount of money. The policy for the insurance company would be paid right away. They'd just say, here, we're out. That way we don't have to pay our attorneys. And then they go after everybody else. Now, are they able to try to exceed policy limits against the insurance company? I, uh, in Florida, I don't believe they could, but you can go after the insured. Right. The production company and the producers and the assistant producers. And in this case, that would be Baldwin as well as some of the other people that were there that would have been producers on it. Oh, um, yeah. And so yes, sir. We, we get back to, and this is kind of what I, I developed earlier in the show, and people can say I'm picking on Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I'm picking on him. The guy has been a very vocal opponent of the Second Amendment and legitimate law-abiding gun owners owning guns, and now he is involved directly, not indirectly, but directly in the misuse of a firearm. And to me, that is just the ultimate state of hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, Jonesy, have you got anything on that? Uh, I'll keep my comments to myself on that one, Tony. I, I think I know where you're headed with that to the extent of, I mean, I, I cannot believe somebody, and, and he's sitting there, he's profiting off of stuff like this in the past. It's not his first merry-go-round of having been in a movie or something with a gun involved. So he's profiting off of the very industry that he's trying to go after at times. And trying to, just, to affect our law-abiding rights as citizens. Just I reiterate one more time, Tony. Just you have to check that weapon and keep your freaking finger off the trigger until you're ready to engage. I can't say that enough. No, I totally agree with you, and it's something I've been like I said. I was taught by my father, and I, I he passed away when I was ten. So that tells you how young I was. Yes, and sir. He used to take me hunting all the time. Uh, we had an orange grove out there off Duff Road because Duff Road's named after my grandfather. And I would go hunting back there, and any gun I had, I was not to put my finger on that trigger until I was ready to pull the trigger. Uh, and I I hunted successfully, many rabbits, squirrels, uh, quail, you name it. But it was done the appropriate way. And this is what happens when you put people in charge of firearms without the appropriate training and without knowing what they're doing. Guys, you I, go through a, oh, go ahead, Jim. You go through a list of you know, individual actors who are anti-gun and how many profit. Liam Neeson, yeah, you know he's a very vocal anti-firearm individual. But yet he makes and millions they, of dollars off of it. Guys, I really appreci- I appreciate y'all calling in today, and I think it was a, a good show, and I, I appreciate the commentary. 
Uh, everybody's been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM, and I look forward to talking again to you next week.